13, Job chapter 13, um, I'm not going to be bitter at all the fact that there's 66 books in the Bible and he had to go to Job. We'll just leave it at that. It's all right. I guess it's big enough for the both of us. <laughs> We're in Job chapter 13. We're going to continue tonight. Uh, Job's response to Zophar takes three chapters, and so we talked about the first one last week. I'm still on track. I want to, I'm kind of determined to go through a full chapter every every Wednesday night so that we aren't in until the millennium, but... Uh, we want to we want to look at chapter 13 this evening. Uh, it, it's interesting. Halfway through this chapter, there's a major twist and a shift change in, jo- in Job's direction, and it was a really smart one. So um, you'll want to stick around for at least 15 minutes. That part, okay? See something. To- Let's read Job 13. Look, starting verse number one. Let lo, mine eye hath seen all this; mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior to you. Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. But ye are forgers of lies. Ye are all physicians of no value. Oh, that ye would altogether hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. <laughs> I love that verse. How many, all of us probably know some people that are smarter when they don't talk. That's what this says. You would hold your peace. That should be your wisdom. So you would be smarter if you would zip your lip. That's what he's saying in verse 5. And then six, hear now my reasoning and hearken unto the pleading of my lips. Will ye speak wickedly for God and talk deceitfully for him? Will you accept his person? Will you contend for God? Is it good that he should search you out? Or is one man mocketh another, do you so mock him? He will surely reprove you if you do secretly accept persons. Shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. Hold your peace, let me alone, that I may speak, and let me come and let come on me what will. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth, put my life in mine hand? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Father, I pray you'd help us in the next few minutes together here that you would uh, we do want to understand that the Bible we don't learn simply for knowledge but for application, and so that's what we want to take away this evening. Pray you'd help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. So two different things tonight we're going to look at about Job here, the, the scolding and the supplication. He starts with scolding them. He cites eight failures of these friends of his. Now, we've talked a lot about it uh, all throughout, so sometimes as I reiterate this, it kind of feels like I'm beating on a dead horse, but I uh, want to make mention again, these friends were not the... as as much friends as they should have been. They certainly weren't an encouragement like they should have been. And so now he's going to scold them for it. Uh, it's, uh, eight, eight failures. The first, they failed to help. It's obvious here that they were no help at all to Job. He says in verses 1 and 2, Lo, mine eye hath seen all this, mine ear hath heard and understood it. What ye know, the same do I know also. I'm not inferior unto you. Now, Job's friends had told him nothing to help him with his problem. They gave him no answers. Job knew what he knew before. He didn't get anything new. And again, uh, as, as, as we understand, when you're coming to comfort a grieving person or a suffering person, it's not always the time to pontificate anyway. Sometimes we just uh, ought to love on them a little bit and just support them. But they didn't give him anything that he did not already know. In verse 3, he says, Surely I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to reason with God. Since it, his friends would not help him, Job would speak with God. And that's a great alternative. We'll look at that in a little bit more here in a few minutes. Men will sometimes enlighten us, often fail to enlighten us, but God and His Word will always help us. It's always a benefit to us, and so that's where we ought to put our trust. 
They failed to help. They also failed to be honest. In verse 4, but ye are forgers of lies. Now this is very condemning because Job's three friends, all of them, we've looked at all three of their first speeches to him, they failed to speak truthfully about Job. Now when we help people, and we ought to be willing to help people, uh, especially those that are suffering and those that are hurting, when we are to be a help to them, uh, we ought to always do it with the word of God in hand. Uh, I, when I make hospital visits or visit people that are sick, always try to uh, read some scripture to them, help them with the word of God, because that's going to do more than what I can say anyway. Number three, they failed to heal. He said, ye are physicians of no value. Job compared his three friends to physicians that were no help to him whatever. These three friends did not bring help, but they brought hurt to Job. Now, think about how horrible position Job's in. Kids have all died. Uh, all his wealth is gone. His health is gone. He's sitting there with boils and uh, got nothing left over. His status is gone. Even his wife is not being supportive. And then here come his three friends, and they just pile on him and kick him while he's down. And, and uh, what, what a terrible thing. We should not. And that's why I say you're physicians of no value. Look, I'm sick, and you're terrible doctors. That's what he's saying here. Uh, there were no help to him. Now, many preachers and churches today, I think, could be accused of the same thing. We have a young man that's been coming for the last couple of months here to our church faithfully and uh, is going to make this his church, uh, he tells us, simply because uh, he went to his preacher for help and he could not get it. He did not get anything, uh, in, any help from him. Uh, and and uh, that's, that's a tragedy, I think, when preachers are not there for their uh, people as they should be. I read uh, this story about a pastor that preached a 10-minute sermon one Sunday morning. That would be a disappointment, wouldn't it? Come and just get a 10-minute sermon. He explained, he said, I, I, I hate to tell you, but my dog likes paper, the craziest thing, and he ate most of my sermon notes. That's why I only preached a sermon. Well, they had a visitor that day in church, and the visitor came up to him afterwards, shook hands with him, and said, Sir, if that dog of yours has any pups, I sure would like to get one to give to my preacher. Uh, we ought to be a help. Preachers ought to be a help to their people, amen? A, uh, an encouragement to them. We ought to be that kind to our friends, too. And uh, others in the church, I always encourage, we go through discipleship, we talk about this a lot in discipleship, to try to do something for someone else in the church every week. We have hurting people here every Sunday. Many of us are, go through situations like that as well. We need to be a help to those around us. But they failed. They failed to heal. They failed to hold their tongue. Verse 5, Oh, that you would all together hold your peace, and it should be your wisdom. If they had kept quiet, they would have been wiser. So when they spoke, it was to their deficit, not to their, not to the positive. It actually took them back. That's uh, kind of goes along with that. Better to be thought of as a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Uh, so you actually make it worse when you speak. That's what they did here. Many times, it would be wise if we would hold our tongue and quit speaking. And there, we need that's really real wisdom is in that. A smart person knows what to say. A wise person knows whether or not to say it. Okay, so wisdom helps us there. And then number five, they failed to hearken. Hear now my reasoning and hearken to the pleadings of my lips. Job accuses his three friends of not listening to him. One of the most basic requirements of all counselors is to listen. The best things we can do for those that are hurting and suffering sometimes is just to listen. And these three guys wouldn't listen. In fact, every time Job did speak, they spend a... Uh, a whole bunch of their response in beating him up for what he said. It's a terrible way they went about it in, if, if they wanted to be a comfort. 
sometimes I can do more good for a person that is coming for help, but they just need to get things off their chest just by listening, just learning to listen. It's not easy for me because I have so much to say, <laughs> right? I mean, I got, uh, as they're talking, man, I got the answer to your question, but just to stay quiet, just listen, uh, that sometimes is a help to people. Sometimes that's all people need is just someone to listen to them air their problems. Why do you, th it always amazes me how much people pay psychiatrists and how long they pay them. And what do those guys do? They just sit there and listen. How does that make you feel? Little thing. And so then they listen more. And people, it, hey, is it a sad thing that people have to pay someone to listen to them? That's pretty bad. In a church, they shouldn't have to pay for it. They ought to have people that care enough just to listen to them. They fail to hurt. They also fail to honor. Chapter, uh, verse, or, or, well, in this chapter, verse 7, they fail to honor righteousness. Their talk was wicked. Verse 7, they did not honor truth. Verse 8, their accusation, here is the, uh, his accusation is them being partial and prejudiced. Uh, they were partial in their judgment. Verse 9, they were guilty of mocking, and in mocking they dishonored kindness. And verse 9, also his friends were charged uh, as mocking God. Job's friends dishonored God by mocking him with their faulty remarks about Job. Verse 10, the sin of being partial again is mentioned here. Uh, they, they were not, they failed, they failed to honor uh, fairness and equity when dealing with Job. They did not look at the situation fairly. They did not look at him fairly. And they were uh, very, very unfair in their dealings with him. So they failed to help. They failed to be honest. They failed to heal. They failed to hold their tongue. They failed to hearken. They failed to honor. And then number seven, they failed to be humble. Uh, number 11, verse number 11, shall not his excellency make you afraid and his dread fall upon you? They evidenced they were not worried at all about God's divine excellency. They were not fearful of his dread falling on them. They were happy to talk about how good they were, how bad Job was, and just kind of took God out of the picture. They were not humble before God. And, and you read, you know, if you think back at all the lessons we've went through already and uh, the things that they've said, there was not much humility in them. They came loaded for bear. They're going to unload on Job, and they uh, thought they had all the right answers when they really offered nothing. And then the last thing they failed to do, he said, they failed in hope. Your remembrances are like unto ashes, your bodies to bodies of clay. The figure of speech here is not common in our day, but simply what it's saying by him here is that the, the three, three friends did not give him anything uh, towards hope. They didn't say anything that would give him any hope. What they said was worthless. It was vain. It was useless. We, we have to give hope to people. And by the way, this is the greatest book in the world for hope. For the future, I mean, we have hope in this time of political uncertainty. If if you don't believe me, turn to the end of the book. It, it turns out pretty good for God's people, amen? And we go through some things sometimes, but there's hope here for us. And the Bible talks about that sure and steadfast hope. There's a different hope that we have than the world has. It's not the kind of hope that I sure hope the Vikings win the Super Bowl this year. That's a, a vain hope, isn't it? That's, a, that's not hope, that's wishful thinking hope. Uh, that's, that's one kind of hope. Then there's that sure, steadfast hope that we have. We have a hope that we know will come about. And, and they gave none of that. They didn't give any hope. Claire Luce said this, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about those situations. And we ought to be offers of hope. These friends were worthless in the hope department. Napoleon Bonaparte said a leader is a dealer in hope. That's what a leader is. And we want to help people. We want to lead people. We ought to give them hope. We ought to be positive. That's why, by the way, we don't want to uh, ever, especially on Sunday morning, you have a lot of uh, people here and, and a lot of times 
visitors and unchurched people. We don't ever want to be negative Nancy when it comes to the Bible. The Bible's not that way, amen? Uh, it talks against our sin. It talks against you know things we ought not be involved in, but there's always that, that hope that the Bible gives us and we want to be a dealer in hope. So now he, he makes the switch, and this is what I was talking about a minute ago. Here's where Job gets a great idea. He talked about it in verse 3. They fail to help him, so he's going to go directly to God for help. And uh, look at look again at verse 3. Surely I will speak to the Almighty, and I will desire to reason with God. That's not a bad thing, is it? He went, <laughs> you jokers are no help to me. I'm going to skip over you, and I'm going to go directly to God. That is a very wise thing for us to do in times of our life, especially in times of grief and trouble. I remember a number of years ago uh, here at our church, um, some of you were around, but I was going through the biggest trial of my life. And there were things, there's lots of things Bible college doesn't teach you, lots of things they can't prepare you for. There's some things, you know, they do the best they can, I believe, but then you, you have to just enter life and you have to learn the hard way sometimes. And uh, don't get me wrong, there were people in our church praying for me, there were people in our church that were encouraging me, but that did not offset the barrage and, uh, of, of misery and the battle, the suffering that we were going through, and, and just a lot of conflict going on. And I remember many times during that time, usually on Monday mornings especially, uh, this is where I would end up right here, just splayed out before God. That's just all I had. You know, when you just have nothing anymore in you. And uh, I'm thankful for godly people that are in our church, or in my life, even then and now. But sometimes, that can't hold you up. You've got to just go to the Lord for help. And God can do for you what people cannot do. And we better not put our trust and hope, ultimately, in people. I'm grateful for friends. I'm great. You know, remember Moses, uh, when, he's, uh, when they're, uh, he's watching the battle and they're winning as long as he holds his hand up. And, and then there came a time, you can only hold your hands up so long. And then he had his men that held his hands up for him. We need people like that in ministry and in our Christian life. But ultimately, when it comes down to it, here were Job's three presumably best friends before this, and they're, they're, they're not helping him at all. But he says, you know what? I'm going to God. I'm going directly to him. And that's a wise, wise choice to make. Let me tell you, there's times that man cannot help you. So here is recorded that speaking of Job to God. Let me give you a few points on this. We see first the courtesy for the prayer. Look at verse 13. <clears throat> Hold your peace. Let me alone that I may uh, speak and let come on me what will. Here Job tells his friends, I know this is a bad word in our house. We didn't, don't let, I usually don't let my kids say this, but he essentially says, shut up, I'm going to pray. That's what he tells his friends here. Stop talking, I'm going to go to God. He doesn't want his friends to be a distraction when he goes to the Lord directly. This is a simple request, but it's really important. Uh, not to be distracted when he prays. And he wants them to uh, just not talk anymore. Remember, he said a few verses ago, if you don't talk, you'll seem wiser. <laughs> so wise up, stop talking. I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer here. And uh, when others are praying, by the way, we don't want to be a distraction for it. Then look at, secondly, the courage in the prayer. <coughs> he had such an esteem for God that he shows actually some fear in coming to God. Uh, the, look at what it says in verse 13 at the end part here. Let come on me what will. Now the New Testament exhorts us to come boldly before the throne of grace in Hebrews. And praise God we can do that. But we can do that through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Remember what happened after Jesus died on the cross? The temple veil was ripped from the top to the bottom. And now we can come because of his work on the cross. We can come directly to the Lord. 
we can come boldly to the throne of grace, but we still ought to have that reverential fear that Job had for God. And in spite of that fear, Job's going to go to God anyway. We see the courage in where he says, let come on me what will. He's going to speak to God regardless of what's going to come upon him. That's an example of spiritual courage. Look at verse 14. Wherefore do I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in mine hand? In Job's thinking, the danger of coming to God about his problem is that he could lose his life. It reminds us of what Esther faced when she went to the king. Remember that? Uh, Esther chapter 4 verse 16. If I perish, I perish. I'm going to do it. But if I die, I die. And that's what Job is saying here. I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm taking my life in my hand. Now, thankfully today through the work of Christ. We know there's no danger in coming to God. Uh, the peril in our life is not in, in not in praying, but in not praying. <laughs> the lack of prayer. That's the danger in our life uh, that, that uh, is going to hurt us more. But Job's fear is commendable because it shows an esteem for God that is seldom seen in our day. How many times the book of Proverbs, the beginning, or the, uh, the uh, beginning of wisdom, fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom, talks about the fear of the Lord all throughout, and uh, beginning of knowledge, so we, we need to have that fear, Reverent, reverential fear. And then number three, the consecration in the prayer. Look at verse 15. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This is one of the greatest statements made by Job in the whole account of his life. There's a couple that really stand out. Naked came I from my mother's womb, naked shall I return, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's one of them that stands out. This is another one. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I've heard that repeated. In our day, we hear it repeated by people, and some do it, I dare say, a little flippantly. Uh, but examine the sentiment in that. Though he slay me, yet will I put my trust in him. That's saying an awful lot more than we just flippantly might say the statement. And, and Job is, of course, uh, this is a great statement of dedication. Job saying, no, no matter what happens, when he comes to God, even if he kills me, I'm going to trust in him. That's a, that's a really, really strong statement. Job had expressed his courage to pray. Now he talks about his consecration. He's going to pray in faith, trusting God, even though he slays him. Uh, This is what Barnes said about it. The sentiment here is expressed as one of the noblest that could fall from the lips of man. It indicates unwavering confidence in God, even in death. It is the determination to adhere to God, though he should strip away comfort after comfort, and though there should be no respite to his sorrows, until he sink down in death. This is the highest expression of piety, end quote. And think about those words. Even though he takes away comfort, even though he takes away good things, even though I could ultimately die, still going to trust him. How quickly we stop and we run out of money for a bill, we don't trust him. Somebody uh, speaks sideways to us, or persecutes us, we don't trust him. It takes so little to take the Christian of our day to set us back. And here, Job, what a, what a consecrating statement. And then number four, the consistency in the prayer. I will maintain mine own ways before him. Now, Job still maintains that he has not done some great wickedness to bring about his troubles. Uh, basically, he's, he's saying here, I'm still his friend. I'm not a hypocrite. Remember, his friends accused him of being a hypocrite. His friends went so far as to say, your kids got what they deserve. Two times they told him that. Job says, I maintain here mine own ways before him. I am the friend of God. Now, at number five, see the call in the prayer. Uh, Look at verse 17. Hear diligently my speech and my declaration with your ears. Job appeals to God to hear his prayer. Job (laughs) calls. He's 
He's asking God to be diligent in listening to his prayer. You know what that requires? Who, who, by the way, who one of us doesn't want God to listen diligently to our prayer? When we're praying, we want God to pay full attention. Here's the problem, though. God's, we want God's diligence to outdo our own diligence sometimes. Uh, if he's going to be diligent in his listening, we ought to better be diligent in our praying. Amen? And Job's already, he's, he's just demonstrated that he is. So he has just said, I'm going to be sincere in my praying. Would you be sincere in your listening? That is the right order, by the way. Uh, the right order for us to be sincere and then God. Too often I feel that people want God to be sincere in his listening when they're shot in their praying. And that's not the way that it works. If you want God to be passionate in answering you, let us be passionate in our prayers. So we have the courtesy, the courage, the consecration, the consistency, the call, and then number six, the confidence in the prayer. Look at verse 18. Behold, now I have ordered my cause. I know that I shall be justified. Job felt that God would vindicate him. Now, his friends didn't. His friends have been making him out to be some kind of rascal. In fact, they said he's a hypocrite. <laughs> Job, obviously, there's some hidden evil about you that we don't know about, or God wouldn't do this to you. Forgetting the, the uh, verse, many are the, many are the afflictions that flew right by them. The beginning and the end of the book shows that Job was right. God did vindicate him. We, of course, know the beginning. Job was not privy to what we saw in the beginning when God's talking with Satan and all that. The afflictions of Job uh, were not because Job had done some great wickedness. Remember, the afflictions of Job came because he was righteous, not because he was wicked, because God gave his example to Satan. And then number seven, the cause in the prayer, verse 19. Who is he that will plead with me? For now, if I hold my tongue... I shall give up the ghost. He mentions two things here that cause him to petition God. The two causes have to do with the pleader and the passion. The pleader, he says, who is he that will plead with me? Now, Job's friends certainly are not doing so. They should have, but they didn't. They should have been praying on his behalf. They should be encouraging him, lifting him up. But instead, they were beaten up. We've said it many times, the Christian army is the only ones that kick their wounded and shoot their wounded sometimes. But uh, that's what they were doing to Job here. Then look at the passion. If I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. He says if he didn't pray, he would perish. Now, this is a figure that we even use today. If I don't get that new iPhone, I'll just die. Uh, we use it flippantly. The difference is Job's deadly serious. How serious are we about our... How serious are we about the way that we tap into the power of... It's available to us. We just need it. You have not because you ask not. Ha, what a damning statement that is to our Christian that you have not... Because he asked not. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched. And we often want deliverance, we're not asking. I read this illustration a number of years ago in Mount Vernon, Texas. A bar began construction on a new building. They wanted to increase the size of the bar. A local Baptist church started a campaign to block the bar from opening. And uh, they, they did it through prayer. They held prayer meetings. They had 24-hour prayer vigils where they were praying that somehow God would step in and stop the construction of this bar. Well, the work continued, and until a week before the opening, a lightning uh, storm came and struck, lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Now, the owners of the bar sued the Baptist church for, uh, they said they were responsible for its demise. The church, of course, strongly denied any responsibility. You're crazy. It's not our fault that the bar burned down. So as the case came into court, the judge was looking over all this, and this was his statement. I find this. He said, I don't know how I'm going to decide this, but it appears from the paperwork that we have a bar owner who believes in the power of prayer, and we have an entire church congregation that does not. <laughs> we ought to pray like we believe it. Amen? 
but pray like we expect an answer and then uh, understand the power of prayer. Number eight, the condition in the prayer. <clears throat> Look at verse 20. He, he lays out a couple of conditions. Only do not two things unto me, then will I not hide myself from thee. <coughs> Withdraw thine hand far from me, and let not thy dread make me afraid. So he gives him two conditions that he wants concerning his prayer. Uh, basically, it's disease and dread. Uh, the removal of a disease. He says, withdraw thine hand far from me. God, does, He doesn't want God to continue to afflict him while he prayed to God. He wants to be free in body and mind to present his case. Obviously, physical problems can hinder prayer. I mean, when we're in serious pain or uh, going through a, a very difficult time, that could hinder our prayer. And he did not want that to be afflicting him during this time. And then the removal of dread. He says, let not thy dread make me afraid. The second condition he wants is that God would ease his fear. What he was experiencing, uh, going through in his life, resulted in the dread of mind that often accompanies people in great trouble. A lot of troubles and trials that are in their life. and It's just a natural thing that fear would creep in. So Job asked God to remove that so that I can pray unhindered. Number nine, the concern in the prayer. His concern is twofold. It has to do with knowing what, what evil is causing the trouble and why God is his enemy. Now this I find Interesting, and I find it very fascinating. Look at verse 23. Make me, well, let's read the whole thing. How many are mine iniquities and sins? Make me to know my transgression and my sin. <laughs> Wait a second, Job. You've been spending uh, 12 chapters telling us that in sin. You did not do any sin to bring this trouble on you. Now, your friends have said that, but he has maintained I haven't sinned. I like the fact that when it comes to before God, Job's open to it. Look. I don't care what these jokers say, but if you say that I've sinned, I'm ready to listen. That's powerful stuff. Have you ever, uh, it, not a, are you, but one of the things that they, they did in their, uh, in their books that they worked on programs there is the uh, back and forth praying. Uh, it's where you pray, wait for an answer. And I've tried this. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but where you're praying, Lord, just try this at some time. Have I done anything today to offend you? Have I done anything today? that uh, is sinful, stop. Amazing. <laughs> All of a sudden you'll remember things you said. The Lord's ready to answer those type of prayers. Well, that's what Job does. He says, Lord, have, you, have I done some sin? If I've done a sin, let me hear it from you. I like that. Uh, he is, he's been arguing till he's red in the face against his friends, <coughs> but he's ready to listen to God. I like that he's open to that. God, I'll take it. Uh, and then he asks in verse 24 and 25, why you're my enemy? So he asks, what is my evil? <coughs> and then why are you my enemy? Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and holdest me for thine enemy? Wilt thou break a leaf driven to and fro? Wilt thou pursue the dry stubble? Now, don't you feel it's probably natural to, for Job to feel God is enemy? I mean, after all this is happening to him, uh, I, and I'm not saying he's right. It's just, again, remember Job, he's not talking from conviction a lot of the times. He's talking from pain. We'll say things when we're in suffering that we don't say normally, maybe. So he feels like an enemy. He uses both a leaf driven by the wind and dry stubble. What he's saying here is, look, Lord, I am an unworthy object of your animosity. I'm nobody. Why would you put all this trouble on such a trivial person as me? Like, a, would, you, would you bother a leaf blowing in the wind? We get enough of them, we have to be bothered by it. <laughs> he says, a leaf, we don't care about one. So uh, we end here with the complaint in the prayer. Job has some complaints about the way God is treating him. Thou write, uh, we're, we're out of time, so I'm just going to wrap up here. But thou writest bitter things against me, verse 26. This is the language of judicial court here. 
seems to Job that God is accusing him of evil deeds. Now, God's not doing that, but Job doesn't feel this at the moment, okay? Uh, because, by the way, have you ever noticed how pessimistic we get in times of trouble? And it's easy when, when misery and trouble and conflict is on our life and we're going through a really tough time. It's hard to be optimistic in times like that. And so it, we can give Job a little bit of a pass here on his pessimism. Thou makest me to possess the iniquities of my youth, verse 26. Uh, Job complains that God is maybe recalling the old and forsaken sins of, of uh, Job's youth. Remember that song, I'm uh, somewhere in my childhood, I must have done something good. The idea that we... Uh, get good things happen because we did something good, bad things happen because we did something bad. So Job saying, hey, you know, I mean, did I kick a cat when I was eight? What Are you bringing this back up again? Am I having to suffer for this now? That's what he's talking to the Lord about. Then uh, thou puttest my feet also in stocks. He uh, feels his troubles limit him. Uh, describes it as putting him in stocks. If you're in the stocks, you can't do what you need to do. I mean, you're, you're, you're limited. So he uh, goes on, thou lookest narrowly into all my paths, verse 27, thou settest a print upon the heels of my feet. Verse 28, he as a rotten thing consumeth as a garment that is moth he, uh The troubles of Job have consumed him, his, his wealth, his fame, his fortune, his family, his health, all those things are gone. And so Job is really laying it on to the Lord here, and we we'll are have to stop here for tonight, but praise God he's going to the right place. Now, do you have troubles? We all have at times. By the way, I mean, one thing you learn if you live long enough is that you're, you're just coming out of a time of trouble. You're smack dab in the middle of a time of trouble, or you're about to go into some trouble. It just it just finds us. Trouble finds like a spark going upward. And so uh, we're, we're all going to deal with this. Where are we going to go in times of trouble? Uh, I like I like this prayer. I think it's uh, like David's prayer in the Psalms. You see the pouring out of his, he's coming to the Lord. And if you're struggling, sometimes... Sometimes you need to just give up on people solving your problems. It's just not going to happen. Uh, friends are great, and friends are terrible. <laughs> Sometimes, you know. And here we see Job's friends. These friends were terrible. They just weren't a help. And so Job says, you know what? You guys stop talking. I'm going to him. That was sometimes. Father, we thank you.